0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a daily podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parent. All this week, we will be talking with Cameron Cole. Cameron, welcome. John, how are you? Doing well. Glad to have you on all this week.
1: I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad
0: to be here. Uh, Cameron is on staff at Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. He serves with children, youth, and family. I I looked on your website. What, What is the technical title for you?
1: The director of children, youth, and family. I, I kind of oversee uh, kids from zero to zero to 18. All right. Uh, it's a, a pretty, big, pretty big responsibility,
0: yeah. Um, so, yeah, on staff at Cathedral Church of the Advent. He is also on the board of advisors at Rooted, uh, which he'll tell us more about in just a minute. He contributed to the book, Gospel-Centered Youth Ministry, A Practical Guide which was uh, released by Crossway, and he just released Therefore I Have Hope, 12 Truths That Comfort, Sustain, and Redeem in Tragedy, um, also published by Crossway, uh, which that will be the the focus of our discussion um, all this week. Uh, So Cameron, before we get started, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and your involvement with Rooted?
1: Yeah, well, first off, let me say I'm a big fan of RYM. Um. You know the the RYM and rooted. We have a common common philosophy of ministry, a common desire. In that, um, you know, we want to we want to help churches and families be more effective at forming kids who have lasting faith in Christ. And um, and you know, we our our desire is for the 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 normal church experience for every kid be that they hear the gospel of grace every week. They have the Word of God taught to them every week. They are prayed for. They are discipled, and that's an effort both of their church and of their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, with rooted, what we're trying to we are trying to kind of transform uh, the way that kids are ministered to in churches. We're trying to move um, churches away from uh, conceiving of youth ministry as moralism and um, moralism and entertainment, and just getting the kids together. And instead of trying to encourage people to think to take kids spe- long term spiritual welfare seriously and, you know, and encourage people uh, and to take a gospel centered approach. And so, you know, we, um, you know, the model that we, we talk about these five pillars uh, that we want to see churches instill in their ministry to kids. Those five pillars are gospel centrality um, that, uh, you know, that kids Uh, hear the gospel every week, they at least know the basic narrative of Christianity as God's grace for sinners through Christ. Theological depth through biblical teaching. We know that kids are going to go into the world and face challenges to faith, both in suffering, um, apologetics, and disappointments. And we we know that kids need uh, a deep, well-grounded biblical worldview to help them navigate those challenges to faith. Um, relational discipleship—it's kind of a no-duh. Like we can teach kids all the knowledge, they can know all the doctrine, and, and can be well catechized, but they need mentors in their life who are helping them know what it means to follow Jesus practically. Partnering with parents—you um, just can't just—we can't just be, you know, like let—we let, um, can't just be an outsourced service for kids' spiritual development. It's the church's responsibility to educate and equip parents to spiritually invest in their kids. And then intergenerational integration uh, one of the one of the big factors that research has indicated why a lot of why 70% of kids who grew up in the American church don't return is because they are segregated from the life of the church they don't learn how to be a church member and so we want to encourage churches to have kids worshiping and serving with people of different generations so that when they're 19 20 years old and they go out into the world and they have to go to a church on their own, uh, they have they have been equipped and trained to be a church member with the other generations of the church. So, um, so yeah, we, we know we we rooted promotes this gospel centered youth ministry mentality through uh, conferences. We have an annual conference, um, which this past year was in Nashville. This coming year, it's going to be in Chicago. Uh, Connections, which that includes our rooted regional groups, those are kind of like local local. It's like a cross between a small group and a and a, a training seminar. Uh, We have about 25 of those around the country uh, where we provide video training and people get together for fellowship and for prayer, uh, youth pastors in local areas. And then finally, communications, that includes um, our book, Gospel Center Youth Ministry, our blog um, and our our podcast and our social media and all that's accessible at www.rootedministry.com. So we're we're very much – fighting the same fight in the same battle as RYM trying, really, really trying to help uh, churches and, and families embrace, uh, but you know, what, what, what kids need is they need the gospel they need to be taught the word. They need to be discipled. So I think, you know, RYM both in their, in your practice of ministry and what you're trying to advocate for, we all want a Bible based gospel centered, discipleship focused uh, philosophy of ministry to be a spouse ministry to kids
0: yeah yeah thanks for that Cameron agreed uh, for sure we're we're definitely uh, excited about what Rooted is doing and would encourage those to pick up Uh, gospel-centered youth ministry uh, for sure I mean excellent Uh, helpful I mean when it says a practical guide very helpful in just practically implementing this in your local church and obviously gets a little more detailed Um, so be sure and, and pick that up Um, Well, this is our our second season of the podcast. Those who listen know that we're dealing with frequently asked questions. Um, And and Cameron's story will kind of dovetail into some of those Frequently asked questions that we have dealt with on this podcast this season, and those that that students are asking. So, really, today, Cameron, I just wanted to start off. um, You you recently recently released a book, therefore, I have hope that I referenced in the the intro. Uh, Would you just share a little bit about your story and then how that book uh, came about?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, um, my wife and I have four children, and you know, I. you know, everyone kind of has a worst nightmare. Every, every, everyone kind of has their wildest dream. And uh, so my wildest dream is twofold. You know, as a, I, I've been a believer since the third grade, and uh, and I've been a youth pastor since 2005. So this is my 14th school year. And I had this uh, fear that, you know, I tell kids about the goodness of God and about the promises of the gospel. But here's the reality. Like, I'm I'm a white American male who grew up with a nice Christian family. Uh, parents were financially comfortable, uh, school came really easy for me. Sports came easy. Friends came easy. Generally always kind of succeeded in what I tried to do. And, um, and so of course I believe God's good. Like who wouldn't believe that God's good if you would had my life. And so I worried as a youth pastor, something really bad would happen. And that could cause me to lose my faith. And the, you know, the thing I would identify was that my, uh, you know, this was, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Was that uh, my oldest child would die, um, and I just worried uh, that you know if something really bad happened. What what what's the one thing that could cause my faith to fall apart? And I said, well, if my son died, I don't think I could, I don't think I could continue to trust God. And I I really kind of had this fixation that the you know nightmares of that happening, and I could see myself walking away from Christ and uh, being a total fraud to all these kids in my youth group. Um, and so, uh, November the 10th, 2013, my wife and I were, were, it was a Sunday afternoon. My little boy, Cameron, it's my oldest, he had lost his Lego ax and he asked if we could ask Jesus to help him find it. So we prayed, we found it. And he said, you know, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And that led to this series of questions where he asked a lot of questions about heaven. He asked if we could go see Jesus, we'd get in the car and go see Jesus. And we said, well, no, you can't. You know jesus is with us we can't see him you know you will see him when you go to heaven he asked about adam and eve if he's going to see if we we're going to see them in heaven uh, he pledged that he would not eat from the tree
0: <laughs> and um
1: and we said well, yeah we all eat from the tree you know that that <laughs> ship has sailed a long time ago um, but um but uh um you know uh but but you know christ has that person you know that, that that's why jesus came And he, you know, he finished it up. He said, you know, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died for my sins. And, uh, you know, that honestly was probably the the last substantive conversation I ever had with him. Uh, That night I went on a a camp out with some senior guys uh, and their uh, senior Bible study. And I I had a bunch of missed calls from my wife the next morning. And, um, yeah, and and when she finally got through, uh, she told me that she had found Cameron dead in his bed. Um, he had just, he was three, three years, 55 days. And, you know, it's, um, it's very, very rare that a child over the age of one will die in their sleep. So like a 100,000 chance. And, um, and he was that one. And so this was kind of the moment of truth where I was like, wow, this, the the worst thing I ever could have imagined has happened to me. And I thought, you know, this is, (laughs) this is where my point of departure is between me and God. And, um, and, that it was just very surprising what came out of my mouth. I said to my wife, when she kind of broke the news, I said, you know, um, Jesus rose from the dead, and that means that God is good, and this doesn't change that fact. And I was so surprised. But What I kind of started to realize there and, and over the next you know, month was that God had been preparing me uh, for this moment. He had been preparing me to trust him, to cling to Christ, and to have hope of redemption, even though, you know, the pain was unimaginable. And so, um, so in the, in the next, in the next month I found myself repeatedly saying to my wife, I don't, I don't know how anyone could survive something like this if they didn't believe in dot, dot, dot. And I'd finished the sentence with a doctrine, you know, with a biblical truth. So it might be you know, the sovereignty of God or if they didn't believe and you know, know about the daily grace of God or didn't know about the bodily resurrection or they didn't know about the empathy of God. And, and so after about a month of sounding like a broken record and kind of having that refrain over and over again, I wrote down, uh, you know, what, what are I keep on saying these truths that I find are just absolutely instrumental to survival and tragedy. And so I wrote down twelve, and then I ended up writing it into like a little personal confession for myself. So, for example, you know, my, I, for under sovereignty or providence, I said, you know, uh, God is sovereign in all things. Nothing comes into my life except through God's, you know, perfect discretion. And um, therefore, my son's death is not an accident. It's not meaningless. It has purpose, and it's within God's, you know, within God's control. And so, so yeah, I so say I just, you know, it was, it was, I would read it most days and just to remind myself of God's truth and, uh, in order to, uh, just, just find hope in God's word. Cause I mean, yeah, I mean, there's just, there were just not like there's anything in my circumstances that were hopeful. You know, I, I was living, I had, you know, my son's bedroom was, had to walk by his empty bed, his empty bedroom every day. And, um, and it was just, you know, it was just uh, un- inconceivable pain. It was so, so painful and sorrowful. And so, yeah, and that, that ended up being the kind of the basis of the book. Um, the book is me uh, that that little that that narrative of hope. I called it that little personal confessional. Um, served as the this the structure, the theological framework for the book. And basically, the book is. Um, it's called Therefore Have Hope, Twelve Truths That Comfort, Sustain, and Redeem a Tragedy. And it's in some ways like a pastoral systematic theology for sufferers. That's one way that I've described it. It's, uh, it's me kind of writing about these 12 different doctrines and how they, how they give you hope when you're living in the midst of your worst nightmare. Uh, and so I work that out theologically and biblically. Uh, and I also kind of talk about in my own story of weathering the loss of a child. Um, I talk about how, you know, how, how, how it was that, that, that each one of these truths gave hope to me. So it's meant the book's meant to prepare people to suffer on one hand, but it's also meant to prepare. It's also meant to give people hope when they're in the midst of it. And it's been, I think one thing, John, and this is, this is kind of the beauty of the gospel is I wrote it from the perspective of someone whose child died, but you know, I found people who with different, all kinds of all kinds of different individual tragedies uh you know read it and find hope from from people who someone who's going blind uh to someone who's recovering from cancer um Mm -hmm. someone who's lost a husband tragically uh just all kinds of um someone who has a wayward child who's left the faith and so yeah it's just you know the, the hope of the gospel really extends to to any kind of suffering you know as as difficult as the loss of a child or the loss of a husband, loss of a parent to, you know, things that we might think of that are maybe a little more commonplace. So, yeah.
0: Well, Cameron, I really appreciate you just taking the time to share your story. You know, I've I've heard you share that story uh, multiple times in various contexts. So I just appreciate your willingness to to minister to us uh, by your story and to, Um, to write a book uh, that will assist others, you know, in the midst of grief. So um, thank you for for sharing that with us today. And I look forward to talking to you the rest of the week and uh, kind of questions centered on this uh, and really the the question tomorrow we're getting into, you know, how could a good God allow um, suffering? Uh, So look forward to talking to you more um, tomorrow about that. Thanks, Cameron.
1: Thank you, John.